0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Greenwood and Mulliner podcast here on Newcastle Fans TV. Well, is it called the Greenwood and Mulliner podcast, Sam? Because Lee Lee Lawler decided to call it something else, and I think we should stick with this. I think we should call the Jonathan and Greenwood podcast because it's got a bit of a ring. I think it looks. I think it's quite catchy. Um, I think Lee was really on board with it yesterday while doing the player ratings for Morecambe, wasn't he?
1: I think I think Mulliner and Greenwood show sounds better personally. But yeah, scoring the players last night for the Morecambe 7-0 win and yeah, Lee got a bit of a tongue twister and accidentally called the show the Jonathan and Greenwood show which is not insulting in the slightest considering, you know, all the work that goes into this. But yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. I'm sure you loved it. Oh, uh,
0: I, I thought it was really disrespectful to you to be honest. But uh...
1: Yeah, just a bit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to try and negotiate on that name but uh... We'll leave that for the comments, maybe. But we've just done a fantastic interview. Um, we're recording this actually after the interview was done, but a fantastic interview with the former Newcastle defender, Stephen Caldwell, former Scotland international. He Actually, when he was at Burnley, I remember a few, when I was living down in Burnley, loads of Burnley players, um, or Burnley players well, Burnley fans, saying that Stephen Caldwell was a great for them. He was just a real consistent centre-half, and I think that was throughout his whole career, sound but... I'll put this on record, one of the nicest blokes I think we've ever interviewed
1: He's the nicest guy alive isn't he Had him on the channel before with Isha um, and I sat in on that and it was just brilliant and I've had him in in mind for this podcast for a while now because there was a a few things that I wanted to go into and expand on which we have done in this Um, he's just a top top guy, he's out there in Canada now doing punditry it's just just, just As you'll as you, as you hear, he's got still, I mean, he's even played for Sunderland, but the love he has still for Newcastle is just superb.
0: Exactly. He mentions that 4-1 win for Newcastle and it's a fantastic perspective. You'll have to listen with intent in regards to that because it was fascinating to get the captain of the other club on that particular yeah. game, Sam asked a fantastic question. I'm not going to spoil the food, but it was a fantastic question, I have to admit, even on the Jonathan and Greenwood podcast.
1: Um, <laughs> what but- I do love about that game, though, is that, obviously, Stephen, Captain Sunderland, as you say, that game, what does make me chuckle is for the penalty incident. He's absolutely berating the ref, and it was a clear penalty, so it just always makes me chuckle. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Um, but I have to give a big
0: thanks to our sponsors, BF52. Remember, if you can get you want eight cans of any IPA, any lagers, any stouts from bf52.com. It's only $5.95, which is just the package, posted packaging price, which is, I think, very good value if I haven't said so myself. And it's some fantastic offers on there as well. And it's wwwbf 52com forward slash NFTV. So this is the Jonathan and Greenwood podcast. <laughs> Let's do that again. This is the Greenwood and Mulner show
1: podcast with Stephen Caldwell.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Greenwood and Mulner show. Is also available on podcasts, as you probably know so much by now, on Apple and on Spotify, <laughs> and now on Amazon as well. So yes, make sure you give this a listen. But it, obviously, it's myself, Jonathan Greenwood, and with Sam Mulner. We've got a very special guest. The former Newcastle centre half is Stephen Caldwell. Stephen, welcome to the Green and Mulder show on Newcastle Fans TV. Thanks
2: for having me, guys. Excited to be on. It's always a pleasure to join the show.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very much. And Sam, this is a, obviously you've had you've been in the company of Stephen, obviously with uh, EFL yes. previously. Um, very good value for money.
1: Yeah, I uh, had the privilege of sitting in on uh, on that interview, so um, it's been in the back of my mind for a while now to uh, get Stephen back on and uh, we can have them to ourselves. But, uh, yeah, looking forward <laughs> to.
0: I'm sure you should be watching. I'm sure it should not be too... Uh, too <laughs> <poly>. <laughs>
1: um,
0: Stephen, I have to ask, where did the love of football come from? Uh, oh, very early
2: age, Johnny. I think that um, it was just intrinsic and everything I did growing up. You know, my, my father was a semi-professional football player. Um, there was a ball there from when I could barely walk, I guess, and uh, I mean, it was just something that was... Um, it was certainly the sport the choice in our household, uh, as you guys know. My brother came along eighteen months after me, and and he was uh, he was a, a football player as well, and uh, and we were just always at the local park playing the game, just uh, enjoy. That's a brilliant picture, by the way. <laughs> How young are we there? Oh my gosh! Yeah, Gary looks particularly young, but yeah, it was um, it was just the the sport of choice. There was no other. Options we never thought about anything else. We played a little bit of golf and we were obviously quite sporty at school. But yeah, when it came to competitive stuff,
0: football was always the number one sport for us. I can imagine. I can imagine the rivalry between yourself and Gary and it was just it must have been so intense at times growing up.
2: Yeah, it was, it was. And and we pushed each other on and I think that we have each other to thank for the the careers that we had because I think gary will be forced to tell you with me being older when i achieved something like you know a place in scotland schoolboy team at 15 gary you know had to get there a year earlier and then uh, you know newcastle gary followed me and so gary always had this thing to strive for and to push towards and i think that helped him and having a competitive brother alongside me was was crucial as well we we always had a partner we always had somebody to practice with and you know not a lot of kids have that uh luxury they don't have a, a brother or a sister who can kick the ball with them. So um, we're very uh, lucky and privileged that we had each other, that we could lean on each other and we could, um, when it came to the professional ranks, we could support each other. We still do. We speak every day. We support each other in the different endeavours that we do within the game of football and and, and life, I guess. But we we are very close and we've been close since we were
0: two and three years old. I can imagine for sure. Um, Let's talk about that move to Newcastle, Stephen. And how did it all come about? Because obviously, as a young lad, you're probably thinking, "Well, can I get into a, like, say, a local Scottish team?" Or it was was the big Scottish clubs with the with the old firm looking at you as well, or was it just did you want to move down south?
2: Uh, it's a great question, actually, Johnny. I, I had options. I was fortunate enough that you know I had teams knocking on the door, picking up the phone, and, and asking me to come and guest and, and and play for their academy, or I don't know, it was called the school of excellence back then, wasn't it? It was quite an academy, but it was the same thing. And there was these regional centres all over Scotland where Dundee United, Hearts, Rangers, Celtic, you would go to different um centres and you would play some games for that that, that region. Mine's was the central area of Scotland, but I kind of edge intowards the east area at And you know, I was at the mall. I I, I trained with, I think I went to Aberdeen for a week. I was at Dundee United for a couple of years quite regularly. Hearts was the same. Uh Rangers was more my club. I, I did get some games with celtic but i just kind of went the rangers route and gary was the opposite he went the celtic route in his youth soccer and obviously eventually professionally but um i always wanted to experience england i wanted to uh go down to different clubs in england to see what that was like i think at the back of my mind that would probably always have been the goal to go and sign for an english club uh, but at the early stages it was just you know whatever you got offered you take the opportunity the first club i got off of, newcastle united and uh, in england i should say and i went down there and my best friend guy lee barrett was with me and some other guys for scotland and uh, that was it i was in love with the city i was in love with the club uh, i went to i don't know aston villa and chelsea and man united and man city i tried seven or eight at least but i always kept coming back to newcastle and, and I, I had a, a a bond with the place I I can't explain it guys it was just someone that was there I mean Newcastle was a real city to be back then and it was a a team that were you know pushing towards Premier League titles and at the top of English football so it was an obvious choice an exciting time to be associated with the club and in the end when things were worked out I think it was about 14 or
0: 15 I I committed to Newcastle and there was no looking back then yeah I think Sam that's quite a brave move at a young age to decide you know what I'm gonna move down south to England and trying a look and obviously he'd gone to some some he look at you just reels off the names like Sebastian Villa yeah. Chelsea Manchester City Man United but it's great to hear that he wanted to come to Newcastle.
1: Yeah and, and not Aston Villa which would have been a very poor choice. <laughs> but, um, Stephen do you reckon that's why Gary kind of followed you to Newcastle um not only because of kind of being that competitive sibling nature, but because you, as you said before, you had that bond, and we've seen it throughout history at Newcastle now Ami Obeys, Caldwell's, and now we've got the Longstaffs. So, do you reckon there was something in that? And just to keep carry on that competitive nature between the two of you and keep that closeness, yeah, I,
2: th- I think so. Um, so I'd want to answer Sam like, I, again, Gary had maybe more options than me, and and, mm. and getting crazy. You know, two years later, when Gary was starting to get to that critical age, the, the kind of the numbers and the the, the sort of when teams wanted you what they were offering was was above and beyond anything that we ever imagined, you know. So so he had some like serious options. And it has to be said, he chose Newcastle through someone in his heart again, a, a love for the place because um maybe people want to hear this, but my parents were kind of edging them towards some other clubs. It felt like there was better options. Liverpool were was strong on him and Leeds United, and um, they were kind of thinking, well, maybe this would be better for you, but maybe it was the comfort of me being there. Maybe it was just the romanticism around the club and him having a real look into what it was like to be there. By that point, I was probably traveling down most weekends to play for the youth team and uh, while I was at school, Um, and so, you know, he he could really see what it was going to be like as a young young pro, a YTS uh, guy coming into the club. So in the end, he just said, no, nah, it's Newcastle for me as well. And, he, he, you know, he politely declined the other offers. And I was pleased about that. And I, I think deep down in terms of, you know, the sort of family side of things, my parents were probably pleased as well that their, their two sons were going to be in the same city and would at least have, a, you know, an eye out for each other.
0: Yeah, I think, that, I think that's important as well, especially when you're growing up in a different city that you're probably not really too sure about, but the fact that you probably kept an eye on each other probably helped you more than it didn't. So that's uh, probably, some, probably some good stories down there, uh, down Newcastle when you getting to that 18, 19-year-old <laughs> market. The, I the, I the market, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll leave that for another day. Um, <laughs> let, let's talk about obviously your time at Newcastle, Stephen, and then oh, how much does supply Robson have an impact on your career at the very beginning, because obviously in 97, Kenny Daglish came in, and obviously Kevin Keegan had just left. Him. It was that kind of transition. You had to Kenny Daglish, you had Rude Hullett but Savoy Robson, when he came in, he, he just seemed to galvanise the whole city, didn't he?
2: Yeah, he, he certainly did. Uh, first, I need to mention that you know Kenny was a hero of mine. So when when Kenny came in as manager after Kevin, I, I didn't really know Kevin. I'd met him a few times, but. You know, I was too young to actually be involved in any sessions with him. And then when I came full time, Kenny was a manager and, and he was my hero. And I almost went to Blackburn just because of Kenny and, and Alan Irvin, who came to Newcastle a little bit later. And, and it was they two Scottish guys that really were pushing me towards Blackburn. And, you know, and I said, no, I want to go to Newcastle. I can't make a decision on, you know, guys that are there because football changes so, so much. Lo and behold, it changed the fact that, the guys were at, at my club at newcastle i was so happy and i knew i'd get every opportunity under kenny i knew what he thought of me as a person and as a player and if i was good enough i would get in i felt very confident about that under kenny um i was just a bit behind i was just a bit young and i never managed to see see you know get into my best years when, when kenny was still coach he was gone then i got some opportunities under um you know a very polarizing thing in terms of his career at Newcastle United I I have some fond memories because he gave me my first chance in a squad on a bench uh you know the days are really important to me I was at derby i think we played at uh, at derby county and he flipped the sheet over and i was on the subs bench and i almost collapsed i, I felt <laughs> i thought i was going to fall off my seat i couldn't believe it i was only a you know a young player then and i, I did not expect to be on the bench that day but it was uh, didn't get on, but it was amazing to be involved and, and to start to see what it was really like to be a professional. And then you know, opportunities came and went. Actually, Gary got more of a, a leg up with Rude. and then I was in the background. And there was some tough times. If you're trying to make it in a career, it's it's uh, it's challenging. The mental side is is everything in professional football. And, and I had some tough times at the end of Rude. So I was happy to see him go. Uh, like a lot of people were. Uh, for my own career, uh, <laughs> as you guys, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that Sunderland games
0: probably yeah. just
2: enough, really, isn't it? What was, what, really, was it
0: actually, um, what was it like that
2: day? I was in the stand. I was watching that. I wasn't involved in the squad. Um, I was in. Where was I sitting? I think it was in that far corner uh, where we used to sit, and uh, and uh, it was just crazy watching that happen in front of you. You know the decisions that he made, and. Uh, it was the beginning to the end at the time i was probably too young and inexperienced to realize it but every manager that i've worked under that they get sacked in the end they start to show a similar pattern they make some some crazy decisions and there was those crazy decisions made that day so it was weird um but yeah happy to see him go so bobby comes in and didn't know what to expect obviously the manager comes in he tries to fix the first team First and foremost, the most important thing, he did that really quickly, he got the guys up and going and running and then eventually um, started to see that there was going to be opportunities for me and, and, and maybe a chance. It's, it's quite ironic because it looked like I was going to leave Newcastle not long before I really broke through, they, they, they were they were thinking about releasing me and um, I was devastated, I was really disappointed and Went to Villa Park, played in a reserve game, did really well. I think there was a couple of offers in that next day to take me from some championship teams and they decided, no, there's someone in this guy. We don't want to let him go. And I think from that point, there was ups and downs and then there was a lot of ups, uh, you know, towards the end of my Newcastle career. And I just kept making the, the steps enough to actually make my debut under Bobby. Sam, Samari
0: Robson is is Newcastle, you know, I think that's yeah. probably the best sentence I could put. Um, just the fact that Stephen thinks that he probably gave him that chance to kind of kickstart his career at Newcastle is doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, Sir Bobby's just an absolute hero and a complete opposite to Rude Hull, wasn't he? <laughs> um And I don't know if you know Stephen, but I I run the Twitter page for Newcastle Fans TV, and I put a video out uh, a couple of months ago, which you replied to. Yeah, it was the of the Bobby Robson team talk pre-Man yeah. City. Yeah. Was that a fairly typical Bobby Robson team talk? And there was a clip that I, I that was just cut out of it um, from Alan Shearer saying, well, these team talks from Sir Bobby do drag on a bit. But um, <laughs> what what was that? Cause that was a kind of like a second coming for Newcastle around that time, wasn't it? After kind of we had Keegan and the entertainers and so that, that team in particular, you know, your Shea Givens, uh, Gary Speed, Shearer, Dyer and Bell- Bellamy on the other side of the dressing room I imagine. Um, what was that kind of like being in the middle of it all and and just how does Bobby Robson compare to other managers that you played for later on in your career?
2: Well, well Bobby was a genius Sam, he, he really was, he was a guy who could get the best out of every person within the squad and you just mentioned some 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 different characters there, and, and, and guys that think a bit differently about the game, different ages of the careers. Well, Bobby, the way he's speaking to the young lads, speaking to the older guys, kind of connecting with everybody, and I think that was the the most special thing about him: his ability to man manage and to get the best out of people. And um, you know, he he really had the respect to everybody. He really had, you know, a a, a sort of it's hard when you're picking a team of 11 players. There's going to be 10, 12 who are disappointed. But, you know, he did it in a way that I think he he, he kept people's respect. He, he tried to have that relationship with, with, with the different players. And, and and the most important thing I think he did, especially in the early days, was get Allen and Rob Lee and Shea Given, Warren Barton, uh, Gary Speed. He got the guys really on his side, did that job really well quickly, and then he signed some outstanding young players. Dennis was, was top class, Dyer was magnificent, Bellamy, uh, you know, Bramble. I know he's maligned, but, but Titus was a really good player. He had some great games from Newcastle. Mm. Uh, you look at, you know, unfortunately where they are now, you know, a guy like Titus Bramble was, was a pretty top player. So, so there was these young guys coming in to complement the older guys. A couple of us youth team players were, were there as well. And, and we kind of uh, put together a couple of foreigners, let's not forget guys like Robert and Distan who had a very important role at Newcastle United at that time. And we put this squad together that was very complimentary. Now, it was polarising as well. So it wasn't exactly the the most um, universally gelled squad that I, I've ever played for. But it didn't matter because when we came together at 3pm on a Saturday, things worked and people fitted together. Bellamy and Shearer fitted together, you know, and... Uh, and there was these relationships all over the park that actually worked on the part where it matters most. So, I, I think Bobby deserves a tremendous amount of credit for that. The team talks were legendary. Some of them were like hairs in the back of your neck, you know, sensational, spine tingling team talks, like just hit the nail on the head and got you motivated at the right time. And some of them went on too long. But when you're giving, like, when you're giving team talks, every you know, every three days or four days with, with European football and, and League Football Cup games, that's what happens when you're in a row for so long. But it, it was—I loved that video, mate, because it really took me back, to sitting in that seat. I was there again. Uh, you know, I could feel the nerves and the the taste in my mouth. What it was like to, to to wait to go and play in the days when you know I was nervous. I was I was really nervous. I wanted to do well. I wanted to make sure that I didn't let my teammates or my my club down. And uh it was a phenomenal video. It was, it was so accurate to like what it was like back then, and and how how uh, how we all respected them. But really, we had a good laugh as well. You know, you could see some giggling and that
0: because he he never took himself too seriously. Another great strength of his. Who would you say was your best or your preferred partner at centre half? With who did you gel with the most? Just just generally on the pitch, who would you who would you go? Was it Bramble, for example? Just the chemistry between the two of you, or was it a Woodgate and Aaron Hughes? Who, who did you yeah. find the best? Like Gary Caldwell. <laughs> Gary Caldwell. <laughs>
2: my favourite is my brother, but we weren't a great partnership because we were quite similar players. So you know, we never played too much. Obviously, we never played once in Newcastle first team. We played for Wigan in the Premier okay. League of Scotland, and we played numerous youth team and reserve games together. But uh, I think in the days we were a bit better. But when we got older, we were a bit too similar. Um, I, I never played a ton of games with Titus or Andy O'Brien or Aaron Hughes actually. Um but I, I, I played I played a lot of games with Woody. I, I really enjoyed playing with Jonathan Woodgate. He was obviously a world class player and I don't say that lightly. He was outstanding football player. He could pass, he could head, could read the game, could run, had everything, had every attribute he needed. He had a great brain on him. He was very cerebral the way that he played. Football in that position, so I, I love playing with Woody. I felt like everybody prospered when they had Woody next to them. If you notice, you know, and, and that shows you the quality where he was to to the rest. There's no disrespect, but he was he was like he played for Real Madrid, guys. Like he's you know, <laughs> you know. Uh, so uh, brilliant partner to have played a couple of games with this and reserves and stuff like that. I don't know if we played first team together, but I love playing with Sylvan. Because I think we had, uh, you know, we were marking a combative way and the way I kind of played a bit slower. Sylvain was rapid, quick, and and was strong as well. I think we had the makings of a really strong partnership there, Sylvain and I as well. So, um, you know, all great players, all different skills, different attributes. Titus was a great passer, he was composing the ball. Andy O'Brien was a top defender, he was always difficult for anybody to get any change out of. And, and, And Aaron could do just about everything. Aaron Hughes was. An underrated player. He, he sort of just played at a level he was playing it, which which is crazy. If he was playing the youth team, he looked good. If he was playing the reserves, he looked good. If he was playing the first team, he looked good. If he played for his national team, he looked good. He was just like he was just seven eight out of ten every single level, um, and he could step up the levels and and, and, and be you know comfortable at at, at that um, at that position, I guess you know. And, and that's a hard thing, guys, because when you hit your ceiling, you go, Oof, "This is a bit too much for me." I need to go back to where I'm comfortable. Uh, Aaron just kept making the steps. So I, I think, again, a very underrated player who played some games at, at centre-half of Newcastle, but a lot of games
0: at fullback, right and left fullbacks. Yeah, for sure. Sam, 2002-2003 season was Stephen's most prominent season for Newcastle. And like he's touched on there, a lot of European nights, a lot of cup games and Premier League matches as well. We have to talk about that Middlesbrough game and we'll get Stevens' view of when he scored towards the end. But that was a fan There we go. Another great hairdo there as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, what a season that was! Before we talk about that particular game, and you know Newcastle got to the second group stage of the Champions League, nearly got all the- got to the quarterfinals, just narrowly missing out to just Barcelona and into Milan. Just
1: yeah, as you, you do, know, as you Getting do. Getting a but- draw at the San Siro. That was just peaks of Bobby. That was wasn't it? That was such a brilliant season. I've still got the video of that season review. Flying High, it's called. I've That's still cool. got it now on VHS. It it's is, at, it's just brilliant. That Middlesbrough game, me and Johnny were having a uh, debate earlier, Stephen. I i was convinced it was 3-0 in the end, but I was wrong. It was yeah. only two. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I'm not right all the time. Who'd have thought it? <laughs> I, know, I, I remembered the fact that it was a Monday night game you scored in the eighty-seventh minute, but I must have imagined another goal somewhere. But there you go. It was just a fantastic season. Yeah, that, that it was oh, what we'd give for another season like that now. What we'd yeah. give. It was just oh, take me back. It was just it was just it was just brilliant. Yeah. It was it
2: was a dream season, wasn't it? It was just everybody was just on the crest of a wave you know and it started for me i knew how important that game was like i had to play well and i had to show that i should be there i deserve to be there with the guys and I had a good game i scored the goal and my confidence got a right boost because of that and then you know to be involved through that campaign and i got a lot of premier league games because of champions league i got a few champions league games because we were doing really well in the premier league so it was a terrific season for a squad player as well which i considered myself because you know, there was too many games to ask the guys to keep playing week in, week out. So, um, yeah, brilliant. The, the, the European trips are just are just legendary. You know, the night in Feyenoord and, and Rotterdam was was incredible, Gosh. incredible, incredible match. The way we played, the way we came back, our energy, our commitment to uh, keep going. The the the, the sort of. The, the genus and Dyer and, and, and Speed, and these guys just were relentless, just kept going and going, and we just wore them down that night with our quality and our, our uh, physicality, our running ability. And then, you know, to, to be in the San Siro, to be in the new Camp, to to, to play some games, I got a few minutes against Inter Milan and uh, at St. James's and a disappointing night, but, you know, a big night for me, I think that was my Champions League debut. Uh, and then I played in a, a game against Liverpool, which was another awesome night at St James's where I think Sheila got a hat-trick, didn't he? We, we beat them well, and they weren't a bad side, but we we, we, uh, we wiped the floor with them. So, uh, terrific memories, loved every minute and and was certainly the high point of my career that season at, at Newcastle United. A great celebration as well, by the way. Oh, <laughs> in, in delight, and I missed the badge, which I still uh, can never forget, but I was a young kid who, there it is, what a picture. I look at my two mates behind and that, loving it with me. It's just, I love that picture because I look up to Gary Speed so much. Um, yeah. Such an inspiration on my career and um, and the belief he gave me and the, the belief he had in me. And, and, and I have Shola on the other side, which, you know, was a guy I grew up with and a guy that had some struggles as well, like me coming through the youth team, like everybody does, unless you're Wayne Rooney or one of the prodigies. They're up and down. And Shola had his. To be there alongside him, and 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 Speedo celebrating with me, and me kissing the boys, and I think I jumped about six and a half foot in the air. I was so happy; it was, uh, <laughs> was a, a big highlight in my career. I can I can think about it now, and the hairs in the back of my neck stand up when I remember that moment.
0: I think Gary Speed obviously just it, what a player, but what a man yeah. as well, Stephen. And it's such a I, I can't find the right word. I'll say shame, but I'll, I, if there's a better word, let me know. But what what happened to what happened to him and um. I think Newcastle I think Newcastle fans now, Stephen, I think if you ask about the day where Gary, obviously, unfortunately, passed away, I think everybody can just remember where they were because they were that shocked and I don't think anybody believed them. But what a man. I think that's probably the best way I can put it, what a man. Forget about football, they're fantastic football, everybody knows that. But what a man.
2: Yeah, an amazing guy and, and like I said, a big inspiration to, to a lot of people an example to everybody, really, in the way that he went about his business and the, the values, the and the morals that he had as a, as a person. So, um, yeah, I remember where I was and, and I remember the moment and um, it, was, it was hard to take, it still is. I don't know how many years ago it was, but it still amuses me, you know, he was loved by everyone. He, he you know, on the face of it, had, had everything and it, it really highlights the fact the, the emotional strain that, that um, football players go through, the the, yeah. the troubles that they have, like everybody else in life. But, you know, look at these guys, they're driving Lamborghinis and Ferraris now and they have 10 million quid houses. And we think they've got everything, but, you know, they've still got the same brains as the rest of us and they still have tons of pressure, tons of things to deal with. So... Um, if one good thing came out of a horrendous moment, it's the fact that there was there was more highlight on mental health and uh, and the effects it has on people. And uh, anybody thinking that you know were well, there in the public eye to be shot down, I guess in some ways. And with Twitter and Instagram and that now, if you have a bad game, everybody wants to tell you about it. But I promise you, ninety nine percent of these guys are giving their absolute all, every single game, all they want is to do well for Newcastle United or Sheffield United or Leeds United, whoever it is. They're there committed to doing well for their team. And uh, and when they have bad games, they don't try it. They try to do their best. So maybe think about that when uh, when we're slamming them. We all do it. I do it as well. I'm a punter on Canadian TV. I'll say, "Ah, oh, it was terrible, you know, and take a minute to think, you know, that um, he's a human being and that he's,
0: he's trying to do his best. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, it's sorely missed Gary Moore. Obviously, yeah, right. obviously we're a big part of their a game changer was obviously the mental health campaign, which Sam does a lot of work with with uh, Newcastle Fans TV. So again, we're very proud partners with that as well. Wow. Um, but but moving on from that, uh, Stephen, obviously a fantastic season at the end of their Third place finish in the Premier League. Um. The next season, we didn't see a great deal of you. You had a couple of loan spells. Is that correct? And was one of them Leeds United? Is that correct?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I only had one loan spell that season, so I was almost yeah. leaving at the end of that summer. I um, I had a couple of clubs in for me, and I felt it was maybe time to get to get going and get. Well, I wanted to play. It's not like I wanted to leave. I just wanted to play, and like I, I totally respect it now, and I understand. So, Bobby's point of view, or anybody's point of view, there's only 11 players you can pick. Um, And Bobby felt, I think he felt that I was a great guy in the squad and that I was, you know, a guy who could step in, but he never thought of me as a regular. And at the time, it was frustrating. It was disappointing. It was a club that I loved. I wanted to become, you know, a certain starter and and the the best of 11, and it just never quite happened. Maybe my talent was strong enough. I think I maybe deserved more opportunities than I got, but. I'm biased. I, I got the confidence, <laughs> I realized that it was never gonna happen. So I nearly left. I I almost went to Sport in Lisbon actually and uh, it never quite oh, happened. Really? Uh yeah, they had been watching some games and they were they were interested and I was a free transfer so yeah, it looked like I might I might go to sport in Lisbon and uh it fell through. I then had to go back to Newcastle and sign a one-year deal, which is never ideal. I mean, you know, one year deal for a guy who's twenty-three, twenty-two, twenty-three is like it's not great, it tells you that it's coming to an end. So, kind of sing that with my calf in my hand, but went in with the best intentions to give my best and, and, and do well, and um, my chances were limited to a point where I was right on the outside and I wanted to play, um, and Leeds came along and gave me a, an opportunity. And Actually, Everton were interested. I was wanting to go there. Newcastle, I think, messed around a little bit. I was mad at Newcastle for that, and then eventually, two days later, Leeds happened on deadline day, and uh, to be honest, I was delighted to go and play, especially for a Premier League team, get some games and, and experience, like, you know, regular, you know, kind of preparing on a Saturday to Tuesday or to the next Saturday, and that was important for me, so um a tough season, but
0: ended really well, personally, because I got to come back. Exactly. Um We have to talk about the move to Sunderland, because we've had Lee Clark on previously, <laughs> and Sam, Lee Clark, I think, was very honest about the fact that he moved to something just to get game time. Never thought he would actually move there. But he, yeah. He, but did it.
1: Yeah. I mean, Lee Clark kind of out there on his own because Stephen never wore a t shirt. Uh, yeah. And, uh, exactly. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what was the thinking, Stephen, when, when you, you know, Made that big move to the, the fierce rivals, and was there alternatives on the table, or is, was it just a case of wanting to stay in the northeast? Or why Sunderland? Uh, northeast a massive part
2: of that decision. I wanted to stay in the northeast, I wanted to play my football there. Um, I, I think I knew. A, uh, Maybe I could have went to a Premier League team. Maybe I would have became a regular. But at that point, regular football was top of my mind. So I needed to hear from a manager that was like, you're going to play, you're important, you know, you're in the team. And and, and Mick gave me that and Mick, Mick told me that. And so, you know, to get a chance to go to a club like Sunderland, who I considered a Premier League club in the championship, I thought they were big enough to get back up. You know, they were pushing that season, actually, uh, just before I went. I think they lost in the playoffs. Made it to the semi-final of the FA Cup, so they were a quality side. Did some good players. They they had a great manager, and Mick, who was good for centre halves, hard on centre halves, but really would, would would teach me what it took to, to, to kind of to, to to be a regular, to be a true professional player. And I still didn't really consider myself a true professional player at that point. I, I always think you've got to be a guy who. Who kind of plays every week and racks up the games before you can can really put your chest in and say, Right, I'm a professional football player. Um, so that that was why. I, I think that did it cross my mind that I was moving to Newcastle's rivals. Yes, I thought about it. And I, I think ultimately I was never a guy too concerned about what people thought of me. I, I, I felt that Newcastle fans would respect that. I'd chapped on the door for three or four years and you know, played limited games. I'd had a really bad season and it was time for me to go and, go and play. So I, I, I felt like I would get the respect for them. They knew I gave my best every time I wore a black and white shirt and they knew I loved the club. It was obvious. There's a big picture of it with me kissing a badge. So <laughs> <laughs> the other side was more concerning for me, moving to Sunderland and thinking, well, how are these guys going to take me? You know, how are they going like, to accept me in? And and in the end, I just thought, well, I'll just be me and I'll give 100%. And, you know, I love their club, like I love Newcastle. And I mean that 100%, if you don't want to hear that in this show, but I love football in the Northeast, and I've got a great love for Sunderland as well as Newcastle. And so I went, I did it. It was a great move. I'm so glad that I, I made that choice and, and I'm so glad that I'm on a, a quite a, a small list of people. Uh, Lee Clark being maybe up the top and, and a point <laughs> for both teams, but um, there's not many people that have played for both clubs and I'm one of them.
1: Yeah, I mean, if someone would have told you as a 20-year-old that you would have played in Alan Shearer's final ever game, would you have thought you'd have been wearing red and white that day?
2: No, no, I would never have thought I'd be wearing red and white. Uh, yeah, I would never have imagined that. I I still think back... That day has really, you know, negative thoughts in my mind. You know, I wanted my team to win. I captained Sunderland that day with Alan and the opposite side. And, and that was really a big moment for me. I've got some pictures of in the, with the referees in the middle and the line and that. And we started well. We, we you know, were on the front foot. We went to goal a lot. And like most things that season, the wheels just came off. Uh, I'm sure it's a day that Newcastle fans and players remember fondly, but it was... Yeah, great. Yeah, I'm glad <laughs> it was nice. Uh, it was painful for me. It still is. But yeah, it was... Uh, I can remember Alan scoring a penalty. You know, he's a hard guy to play against. There was no... As you would not expect, there was no... We had a decent relationship, but when you put the shirts on, you're trying to kick lumps at each other and run over the top of each other. And I think we respected that. We knew what was coming. We had a good battle on the penalty, apparently. And then I don't know if I was anywhere near the incident where he, where he hurt his knee. I don't think I was. But, yeah, it, it doesn't have a great significance in my mind because all I was thinking about was I'm leading this team to a humiliating defeat
0: against their arch rivals. So I, was, I had enough to deal with myself. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, I'll have to touch on about the current situation at Newcastle. And it, it's nice to actually get a centre-half perspective because yeah. Newcastle have just beaten Morecambe 7-0, which obviously is a, it's a great result in terms of progressing to the next round. Premier League, obviously losing, losing to Brian but beating West Ham. So, again, a bit on and off to start this new season. But I want to talk about the central defenders at Newcastle have got because Jamal Alassane obviously the captain of the club. You've seen likes of Federico Fernandez, Kiwan Clark being getting a couple of games in the cup, and he's barely got a foot wrong for Newcastle. Yeah. What What do you think of the current crop of centre halves for Newcastle? And do you think that any of them are at a level that they could probably exceed Newcastle potentially and maybe get that bigger move?
2: Um, I think with all due respect, these guys are playing in the Premier League. That they're, they're, most of them are internationals. They're, they're excellent football players. Um. Exceeding Newcastle, I don't know. It's a dangerous thing to say. You know, it's like, how do you exceed a club like Newcastle? Brilliant club, should be bigger, should be should be uh, competing towards that top half European places, in my opinion. Hopefully, will be soon, one day. Um, but uh, Lascelles was a guy I thought might play at a higher level, might kind of kick on a bit more than he has. Um, and no disrespect, I think he's a terrific player, but I, I really thought he was... He he had more in him, and we've maybe not quite seen that yet. Still time for him. Um, Clark, I think what you see is what you get with with Kieran Clark. Uh, You know, good player, good pro, gives his all. Fernandez is similar. Um, So I think trying to answer this with respect, I I think they're all, like, very good players, but, you know, I I don't think any of them are are outstanding. I don't think any of them have the kind of... We could go through the years, some of the centre hand, and call a Chini type guy who you know has more in him and, and, and started to excel and, and, and show that. So I think in fairness, they fit into the way that the team plays and it's, it's quite a pragmatic team. It's just get results, do your job. The guys all do their job and there's a number of different players that do it. But you're just missing a bit of that sparkle at Newcastle right now where someone with a real flair who... He does something a bit different, like a Kicolichini, who who was a guy I never liked at the start of his career at Newcastle. And by the end, he was obviously top, top player and, and he showed this flamboyant. So, out there, guy like that, you know, we're, we're kind of missing that centre-half. And I was miles of that guy. <laughs> this is one of the <laughs> <laughs> I would be nice to see kind of player guy back in the, the heart of Newcastle's defence who had
0: a bit of charisma and a bit of swaz about him. Yeah, for sure, Sam. When you look at Newcastle today, um, I think obviously it's always going to be a mixed bag at the minute with Steve Bruce. I think he's either going to love him or hate him, really, because Newcastle fans just... I don't know. I think some people will just think he's just good enough. Some are saying he shouldn't be anywhere near the job, but he's done OK. Is that a fair yes. effect? Do you think he's done better than OK?
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's always that tagline, isn't it? Done well under the circumstances, um, which he has. Um, it's a big season this season because... He's got the players in. He's had a good transfer window, so there's no excuses anymore. There's actually some depth in that squad now, which there hasn't been for a good couple of years. So um, it's make or break time. Yeah, and I think he's got depth and flair, guys. I think up top, especially.
2: Mm. You know, you've got Almiron, you've got Sam Maximum, you've got uh, Wilson, you've got Fraser. You've got four guys there that if you can build the base and, and get them playing... I think they could be really exciting in that top area, but how do you fit them in? How do you make sure that you're protected at the back when you put in, in, in the four guys? I mean, Fraser and Almirono, I'll do the work 100% uh, back and forth, management. but I think that if he can get the four guys playing in his best of living and, and, uh, and get them firing, they could be pretty good.
0: Yeah, as long as you've got a Scottish international on your team, you should be okay, shouldn't you, Stephen? Yeah, right?
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, it's been a fantastic 40 minutes near enough in regards to speaking to you, Stephen. I think it's a great insight to what it was like. in. Pro- Some people will almost call it the, the glory years of Newcastle, especially someone that's in the mid-20s and wants to remember the good days. But um, Sam, I think, I think Stephen will... Definitely be an interesting listen when when this comes out, and again a fantastic serve for the club.
1: Yeah, absolutely superb. And um, as I um, said to Stephen last time we spoke, um, I was actually at his debut for Wigan. He actually made his debut for Wigan at St James's Park yeah. as well, two two all draw as well. Yeah. So yeah. it's just a lot of um, even though we left, there's still a lot of history tying him to Newcastle. So yeah, it's cracking. Thanks guys. Pleasure being on. Uh
2: love, love the football club still. Keep up with the results and uh anytime I'm here and uh, pleasure. Thanks.
0: No problem. Thanks very much, Bye-bye. Stephen. And that was Stephen Caldwell on the Greenwood and Mourna podcast. It was a fantastic 40 minutes or so with the former Newcastle centre half salmon. Some fantastic stories. I, I think, obviously, the ones that will probably get the most mentions will be the likes of Savoy Robson, Gary Speed, the, the goal against Middlesbrough, and obviously the four-one from a different view uh, against Sunderland. I think that Middlesbrough goal is—he he was just bursting with pride talking about it.
1: Told you he was the nicest man alive, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that season, that o two o three season was just. It was great, wasn't it? There's some fantastic memories, and he was in the thick of it all. To, so, to hear from someone that was that was inside that dressing room and had first hand experience, it was really interesting, I thought. It it really was. And Newcastle don't get many, what we call probably
0: the closest to glory years in, in recent time. But that 2002 3 season is actually my favourite season as yeah. a Newcastle fan that beats that the 11 12 season, the, even the 0 1 2 season. I think that. I was quite lucky as a Newcastle fan because 2001-2 was my first season watching football, remembering football, and being, you know, l- like loving Newcastle and loving football in general. So I was quite lucky for the first couple of years. I thought this is the norm for Champions League football and finishing in the top three and four. But um, sadly, as time has passed, that's not necessarily the case. But his passion really shone, I thought, Sam, I don't know about you, about the whole city in general.
1: Yeah, it's similar to what's going on with the Longstaffs now, isn't it? Going there as a, as a kid with your younger brother, coming through the ranks together in that fantastic city. It's just stuff of dreams, isn't it? So, it, yeah, he's just the nicest guy alive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he just is. But, yeah, it, it's it's really good. And, and what he was saying about Gary Speed and everything as well, some, there's just so many memories from that time that to spring to life and it's just such a great time. You're were, you were very lucky. I mean, we we're both lucky in a way because my first was the 95-96, 90, uh, so I had similar feelings that I just thought, well, this is just brilliant. We support- I've am i picked a fantastic team to support here and um, here we are in 2020. And that's just showing mm-hmm. the ages of the two the two uh, presenters of this
0: show, obviously 2001-2 two, for me and 95-96. For uh, Mr. Molnar here, but uh, we'll leave that one for another day. Uh, again, a massive thanks to our sponsors, bf52.com. Remember, bf52.com forward slash NFTV for eight cans of any particular beer, ale, lager, stout, IPA for $5.95. Is just your package and postage costs, really. So, you should really get involved with that, guys. Um, if you can leave us a review. And if you can tell us what you think of the podcast, that would be really, really appreciated because we do put a lot of hard work into this, and we're getting some fantastic guests—former uh, Newcastle yep. players, sports players, current sports players as well. Uh, and I would just like also mention um, our best wishes go to Gary Wilson, who's just been um, confirmed that he's had coronavirus in the last 24 hours or so. It's just been confirmed, so all our best wishes are to Gary Wilson.
1: Yep, yeah, Wilson get well soon,
0: Gary. You know, hope you get a speedy recovery. Uh, From this obviously horrible disease, and hopefully be back on a snooker base in the nearest future. Remember, that podcast is still available on all good podcasts as well. But for myself, Jonathan Greenwood, and Sam Mulner, we'll see you next time.